You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I am sure I've done a podcast about this before, I think. Well, related. But it's been over a year or two. And it's a subject that just came to mind again. A philosophical subject. That is bound to be relevant for you because it's relevant for all human beings. And if you're listening to this podcast, odds are probably leaning better than not that you're human. (laughs) Although who knows what's carried up into space through all the electronic transmissions and wavelengths. And anyway, Twitter right now with Elon Musk melting down, stepping down, stepping up, being at the the World Cup finals with Jared Kushner, um, the revelation that Qatar has billions of dollars invested in Twitter, as does the Saudi prince chop-up man um, who chopped up the reporter from the Washington Post. SDAP or APD or whatever his three initials are, I don't even remember. But uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, murder in charge that uh, the United States sort of kisses ass of because he has money and, you know. Anyway, Elon Musk is really just trying to control the platform the way his investors want it to be. And um, his latest ban of even citing to... Instagram or Facebook, as well as Truth Social and some other sites. You're not allowed to have it in a link tree. You're not allowed to put it in your bio. You're not allowed to post posts from there on your profile. They're all policy. You'll be banned. Incredibly weird. Have you ever, no one's ever heard of a a social media site that bans the publishing of links to other social media sites. I think there was a problem with YouTube and Google links on Twitter in the past, some sort of inconsistency. They weren't allowing it or something was going wrong. But you could always go around it, and now you can post them. So I don't know. But for the most part, no, there's never, ever, ever been a ban from linking one social media to another. But anyway, he went, he melted down, he's doing that, and then he says, should I step down? He does a poll, but the poll doesn't last for 24 hours. For some reason, it's already done, even though he... Just posted at 6 o'clock last night at 7, 10 in the morning now. The poll's already closed up. Would he run a special 12-hour poll? Also, who can trust the poll results that he gets when he's running the show? But the poll was 57%. Get your ass out of there, Elon. And he said he will abide by it, which is also stupid. He keeps saying that, like with Trump and everything else. Uh, but, but the point of all this is I'm, I'm, re-eval- I'm looking at as I think most people are, we're all looking at Elon Musk very differently than perhaps we looked at him before he started opening his mouth so much on Twitter after buying it and the way he's handled it. And we see that he's a petulant, crackpot, uh, authoritarian, wishy-washy, unstable dipshit. And it doesn't matter how smart he is about rockets or cars or whatever Um, at the end of the day he's about as mature as a six-year-old 
And, you know, when he made comments in the past, like about Tesla, everybody has to get their ass back to work. None of this fake work at home stuff. You're like, hmm, that seems pretty alarming. Because as someone who worked at home, uh, always as part of my job for the federal government, a job I had for just shy of 24 years, I know firsthand that you do actually work at home when you work at home. Um, now, sure, you get little cushy things and little benefits about it that are undeniable, and there's reasons why we fight so strongly to have that right, but you actually do work. So when Elon Musk was saying, it's fake work and you're not really working, look, if you have a type of job, some people have jobs they can do at home, and some don't. Uh, given the job description and job functioning, if if there's enough work to be done from home, I say let people do it there because uh, what we found at the federal government with our union protecting the right is uh, people actually did more work at home and, and they did it better because they were, you know, forced to show work product and to justify their work from home. And, you know, everyone knows if you just get your butt in a chair in an office job into the office, then... You know, you can get away with a lot more coasting. You can go to lunch, long lunches, and chat with people and do all kinds of get on the phone and do all kinds of bullshit things to kill a day and still get your job done and <laughs> get a lot done while you're there and get enough done. So what's the problem letting somebody do that at home? Except maybe they're watching TV or going shopping or something, you know? Um, it doesn't make sense why you pretend that people in the office aren't killing time. They certainly are. And they're finding all kinds of ways to kill lots of office time. And if you let them stay home, it's just, you know, they get to wake up later. They don't have to burn gas, pay for parking or commuter costs. The benefits are enormous. And psychologically, it's just better to have more control and autonomy over your own life as a worker. So it makes you a better worker. And your work product at home is every bit as good as in the office for the reasons I just described. Because you're really working the same amount of hours. It's just that when you're not working, when you're at home, you're doing fun things and things that benefit you in your life during the workday. When you're in the office, you're kind of killing time. Who really wants to talk to coworkers? Most of them you really don't like. <laughs> so um, you really do just spin your wheels when you're out uh, at an office site uh, during the downtime when you're not actually working. And the idea that people are just churning it out the whole time is ludicrous. So, um, of course, it's ludicrous at home, but it's equally as ludicrous in an office setting or work setting. So, anyway, Musk saying that was insane, uh, that everyone had to get their asses back to work because it's fake to work at home. And he just showed his true colors. Now, that's why he's been on Twitter. That same sort of slave driving kind of weirdo kind of make a rule that's patently unreasonable and in violation of people's rights. And then the whole time say, I'm free. I'm Mr. Free Speech. But the point of all this is to say by revealing himself as the owner of Twitter to be the sort of twit that he is, um, unlike Donald Trump, see, who was in a position of really providing for people, people bought into Trump and his selfish, insane authoritarian style because he chose a party side. And so is, so is uh, Elon Musk to some degree. But mainly they bought into it because he was in a position as president, to they felt, to protect them and do things for them that really mattered, like 
get more blacks thrown in jail or whatever they wanted. Who knows what the sick agenda was from the Trump voters. But Elon Musk on Twitter doesn't really have any power, you know. I'll let this person tweet. I'll, I'll stop that person from tweeting. I'll, won't, I won't let you post to Facebook. I mean, these are, rel- in, in the relative scheme of things, these are very small matters. And they might feel scary and oppressive when you're on Twitter because you like your freedom using that app. But you can always just turn it off and go to Facebook or go nowhere and go out and walk out your door <laughs> or turn on the TV or stream something or read a book. I mean, you know, it's just Twitter. But Donald Trump literally had the power to fuck with people's lives because the government really has tre- tremendous reach. And so people backed him and his craziness and his temperamental attitude and his obvious lying because they just did a... a a balance of, you know, a cost-benefit analysis. And they realized, well, yes, he's an asshole and all these things, but there's so much benefit to having him be president, that kind of asshole, so willing to just break the rules, invent new ones, do whatever he wants and get away with it because he's president. I love this. This will be great, you know. And in many ways it was for the evil people of America, the very, very evil people that voted for him. Uh, They got their evil wishes you know, rewarded. But most of them have been undone now, and the only damage left is to the Constitution and to the country and the stability of our democracy. I hope they're happy. But I digress. The point is Elon Musk was revealed as not really having any power. And so what what this made me think about, almost 10 minutes into the podcast, (laughs) is what have you accomplished with your life and what are your values And what are the values of people in this world? And in particular, the everyday American. What I mean by that is I was looking at Elon Musk's poll that he posted, should I step down? Which doesn't mean he's going to not own it, by the way. It just means should I step down as the head decision maker, CEO, you know, guy who's actively rolling up his sleeves and histrionically changing policy on my whim every 10 minutes (laughs) banning journalists and then allowing them back on crazy weird shit like that you know should i step down from allowing my estrogen or whatever he has going on in his bloodstream um (laughs) making these crazy decisions um and should i let qatar and um APG or whatever the Saudi princess name is. Should I let them make all the decisions instead? That's really what he's asking. But um, what you realized from that, when you look down underneath that poll that he put up and you see a lot of people with blue check marks talking and you see these entrepreneurs like Tom from MySpace and he's, he sold off MySpace. MySpace is no more. And he's, it says on his profile something like traveling the world, water skiing, and all this. And I remember the guy whose name escapes me right now who created CD Baby, uh, who had a rich daddy who was a lawyer who gave him a big chunk of money to start his own business when he was fresh out of school. And he had a band and he wanted to get his music out. So he made this company that gets music out for bands. Well, he ended up selling it to some corporate 
juggernaut maybe 10 years ago now. And, uh, and he's been traveling the world on a motorcycle with some Asian girlfriend, mainly staying in uh, Southeast Asia areas, Asian areas. So he's, uh, this is what these guys do, these entrepreneurs. They make a shitload developing something and they sell it off and then they just live their lives like in retirement young. And they do it usually out of America, it's, it seems, the real wealthy people. Most of them don't seem to want to stay in America. It's probably for tax reasons. I don't know. That's probably what it is. But it's just they keep more of their money uh, if they bank it overseas. But I don't know. Maybe they're just bored. Maybe America's boring too to rich. And plus they're known here. Maybe they have more privacy when they travel. But when I was looking down the list of heavyweights, so-called heavyweights, you know, who were responding to to Elon Musk's poll – and I see the way Musk interacts with other hotshots. And I see that he's with Jared Kushner standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of guys in turbans watching the World Cup final between France and Argentina. And he can just jet over there and go to that. And I realize most Americans masturbate to that kind of shit. Most Americans eat that up. Most Americans... Their value system is hot shots and money and big time. And intelligence is not really important unless it's attached to some cutting edge technology development or hot shot endeavor that the cool kids like or that for whatever reason has gotten publicity in our culture something related to technology, something related to, um, it can be environmental technology. It can be anything that, that affects, you know, day-to-day lives, but it has to be something like, that's like, Ooh, that person's smart. That person's sharp. They had an idea. They did something with it. I mean, you look at Mark Cuban, for example, he's an okay guy. He's a, you know, he's from the Pittsburgh area. Um, you know, he made his fortune and he's on Shark Tank and all this. He has a lot to say and he's he's been out there with his opinions as a Daleks Mavericks owner. He's very outspoken and very demonstrative in, his, in the sports world. And on the whole, though, when you really listen to him and look into him, he's not that intelligent. He's not that special. He's okay. I like him because he, he leans more liberal. I like him because I agree with him politically more. But other than that, most of these guys, and that's why I'm bringing this up with Elon Musk, if you really break them down and really get to see behind the curtain, most of these guys aren't very smart. Not really. And most of these guys really aren't very cultured. You know, you don't get to be a big shot and then actually be well-spoken and intelligent. The other guy I'm thinking of is the guy that used to own Twitter, the big headshot, one of the guys that, that started it. Why am I forgetting his name? Jack. Remember Jack from Twitter with the long-ass beard? You know, he looked like he had this power. He was this mystical hotshot who created this site. But he, he didn't speak much. And when he did, he posted weird, obtuse things. He played on his image of anonymity and mystery. And he had us all fooled. We saw 
him when we thought Twitter, he's a genius, he created this. You know, and he had us all fooled. And what we found out, the emperor had no clothes because when Musk took over, he basically just pissed all over Jack and kicked him and ripped his clothes off and mocked him and, and chased him out. And Jack just humbly left and ran out naked. And people turned to him like, Jack, what are you going to do about this? And Jack was like, yeah, I don't know. And Jack Jack has made little occasional tweets here and there, weekly uh, defending his past practices, their past practices on Twitter as Musk rips them apart and shits all over them and puts them down. And you realize that Jack's a weakling and Jack made a lot of money and whatever, but Jack's not a strong person. And even I feel that way about Jack. But basically, because, you know, it's like, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight for us? Are you going to fight for what you created here? Are you going to be strong here in the face of this asshole? And he wasn't. He was weak. And so you're like, wow, yeah, Jack wasn't all that. Jack wasn't what he led us to believe he was at all. He's not a heavyweight of intellectualism. He can't stand toe-to-toe with Musk, who's a big mouth, you know? Um, And you step back, you say, what are we valuing here? And for, like I said, for most Americans in particular, but I think most people in the world, it's prestige and money and power, power especially. The power to have a blue check by your name on Twitter. You know, the power to drive an expensive car, to live an expensive home, to travel, the power to get on a plane and be somewhere tomorrow and, and hang out there somewhere exotic because you want that. Women love that. I mean, look, it's not a sexist thing to say that. Let's just be real here. Every woman that would hear this podcast would go, that's true. Women love the concept of saying, I can't handle this right now. You know what? I just want to be, you know, in Florida. It doesn't even have to be a cool place. It can be Florida. (laughs) But they can just say they want it and to be there and they would love that. And a guy that can give that to them, they're going to like that guy. You know, even if he's an asshole, even if he's Donald Trump and grabs him by the pussy, most of them are going to say, well, it's just a pussy grab because they like getting on an airplane and ending up somewhere cool. And they like the travel and they like the freedom that comes from travel, just like they like shopping. Most women really like to get things and they love travel. And so if you're a man and you like women, Maybe even if your values aren't to have money or prestige or power, there's a power over women, a power to get women that comes from having money and prestige that that alone might be the reason you want it. And look at Elon Musk. He has like however many kids to however many different women. And he clearly is all about a breeding, some sort of breeding fetish he has. It's clearly about, you know, implanting his sperm into women. It's, it's some sort of conquest for him, clearly. So if I were a woman, I would never fuck him because I, I would view him as, in a, as a form of sexual assault and rape in my mind when a man is all about claiming you with his sperm, you know, wanting to put his sperm in you and create a life force in you be, as a means of, like, showing power. That, to me, is gross. And if I were a woman, I would go, no, thank you. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Uh, Because I don't want anybody. I'm into independence as a man, and I'm sure if I was a woman, I'd still be into independence. And I don't want anybody 
marking me, branding me, claiming me, especially not inside me. You know, so, I mean, that's what you see from him, Musk, again, is this desire to brand, claim. And I think that that's a big factor in why he's done everything he's done, probably, is the P, the P factor. <laughs> Don't make me say it. This is a family podcast. Well, fuck no, it isn't. So I'll say it. It's a pussy factor. I mean, <laughs> just to be crude about it, right? I mean, that's what men think. Okay, I'm speaking in menese, menjanese right now. And the menjanese language, we, we, we sometimes behind closed doors, ladies, say things like, you know, did you get any pussy last night? He's doing it for the pussy. <laughs> That's the power of the pussy talking there. He does what his woman wants. He's pussy whipped, right? This is what we say as men. It's the pussy. We like to say that word. Um, grab him by the pussy. Anyway, I think that that's a big motivating factor for a lot of intelligent men who want to make a mark to have money. It's to get that. Look, you could call it romanticism. You can call it love. In fact, I think a lot of guys are idealistic about the pussy, and they romanticize the pussy, and they make it about love, and they make it about, I want to marry you and your pussy, and I want to I have children with you on a white picket fence, and I want to lock up your pussy and make it mine. But, so that is, so is that your, are those your values? If women are, if you're, if you are poor you, if you're condemned to a life as a man who values women tremendously and love, then maybe you're cursed at needing to succeed all the time, needing more, needing more, more money, more success, more power, because you need the women to come into your life. It's so important to you. And so you're therefore forced to sell out your other values and ideals for the sake of getting the woman. Maybe. Maybe that's true for you. Um, here's me. I'll just do me real quick here with what my point on all this is. I've always valued women in love. Always wanted a woman in my life. One woman. Um, it's still important to me as a 56-year-old retired man, single alone, divorced for 23 years now. Um, it's still something I long for is to have that pussy by my side. <laughs> so there's a part of me, retired at 56, retired early from my federal government job, very humble pension, very humble life that I'm going to live until I die. No real money, just subsisting. I bought into that because my ethics, my values say, if you put your head down and do your job, and just abide by the rules and sort of survive and get by and do the right thing, you know? Uh, take care of your family, um, you know, be, cover your debts, cover the people you have to in your life, and put yourself second. Put yourself secondary. Um, it's about how you, um, how you live for others and what you give in the world, not how you live for yourself. That's why I took a public service job working for the people through the federal government, a thankless job as an attorney where I was anonymous, but 
every, every day I was dealing with people, desperate people, disabled people or people that thought they were disabled who wanted just some money a mo every month to live on, to survive, to exist. And that, that was my job as a public servant, doing a very important job, really, to the masses of the people of this country and really trying to help people. And I did that for 24 years because I tried the other legal work where I was working for private people and I was helping a lot of bad guys, frankly. And I didn't like who I was representing. So one of the reasons, if you ask me, how was I able to stay with a federal government job for 24 years, it's because I was helping people. I was helping people. That's why. And you could say, well, how have you been divorced for 23 years with three kids? And most of the time they've lived five hours away from you and you haven't seen much of them. How do you view yourself as a good dad? How, you, how can you live with yourself? How is that okay? The answer is, well, I hung on my cross. I did my sentence. I paid my child support. I saw them every time they needed me. I was there for them. I continue to be there for them. If any of them wanted to live with me, I immediately took them in. I never turned anyone away. I never left my family. I never left my children. I love my sons very much. I am a father to the day I die. That's all I ever wanted in my life was to have a marriage and children and work a regular job. You know, I had some dreams of being a famous actor, but that was just young person dreams that I quickly gave up just to basically have a job and live a life with a family. I lost my family. The reasons we all lose families and wives and divorces vary. It happens to more than half the people in the world, in the country especially. So I'm not going to beat myself up over it. It's been 23 years. The point is, I am a father. That's what I am. That's how I've seen myself. And I've been there as a father all the lives of my children. And, um, and I've sacrificed so that I do my duty as a father. I've spent the money I could to see them. I haven't had much, but when they're with me, I've gone into debt for them to give them a good time and show them life um, and so on and so forth. Why did I put myself last? Why now, as a result, am I retired with very little money, just surviving, can't really travel? You know, why am I doing, why did I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a quote unquote loser. I have nothing to show for myself. I was, you know, a valedictorian of high school. I finished third in my law school class. I went to a really good undergraduate school. I had a lot going for me. I could have climbed, could have had success and power. Why did I settle for a meager lifestyle, a humble lifestyle? Why did I merely put my head down, take care of people in a job, take care of my family and live alone with nothing? When I had values of women and love, I wanted that. I had values of doing something important in the world, making a huge difference, being creative. Sure, I had those values, but why was I willing to sacrifice them all? And the answer is simple, because when you have a religious belief that there is something more after this life, then it's very easy to sacrifice awaiting the future reward, which is to say, not that you will be glorified or have any riches or anything, but that you will be acknowledged as having done the right thing. So I say to you, we all should do the right thing. In my opinion, this is the way I've lived my life, even if it means sacrificing ourselves. And it doesn't matter that my father and others think I'm selfish, which they do, apparently. It doesn't matter that some people think I should have done more for my children or I should have done this more, that more. They think I'm lazy. I don't care. I know the truth about me. 
And the point is I did the right thing. And I will continue to do the right thing, which is to humble myself for the sake of humanity, which is to say the government job or my children. Um, And I don't feel the urge or need to compete in the private sector in the world with other men. And even though I value women, I will do without a woman. Something I've always wanted since my divorce, love and affection and a partner, I'll do without that. And live in relative poverty, in retirement, um, and with no power to gain a woman. I'll do without that if it's the right thing. And it is, it has been. Uh, 23 years without a, a serious long-term girlfriend for a reason. And the reason it was is it was never the right thing. So I'm just, I'm telling you my life not to brag. There's nothing to brag about. I'm telling you my life to say I made sacrifices intentionally. I put myself last 95% of the time. I put others before me 95% of the time intentionally because my ideals, my values, and how I was raised caused me to believe, as false as it may be, that this, the temporary, the, the temporal world is temporary. And the things of this life will pass and fade. But this is not the only life. And that there is a reward for those who do the right thing. And that reward is to just simply be loved and acknowledged as having done the right thing and supported, even if it comes after everybody in your family thinks you're an asshole, whatever. It doesn't matter what happens on this earth. It doesn't matter. You, you do the right thing. You put yourself secondary and you, and you give the best you can to your life. And you do it in, with this knowledge and faith that after this life, That's where the payoff comes because that payoff is forever. And that payoff is that the the little guy who took it up the ass his whole life and got shit on most of the time but accepted it uh, has the highest place in heaven. Jesus said so. I mean, if you're a Christian, as I am, that's what Jesus said. The, The last shall be first in heaven. The meek shall inherit the earth. So... That gives you motivation to be meek. It makes it okay to be a weakling, a loser, air quotes, because you realize that the successes of this world are temporary and they will fade away. And the men that live for them and kill for them and steal for them are truly barking up the wrong tree. Their values are in the wrong place. And they're going to pay for that in a major way that matters way more than any gains they're acquiring watching the World Cup in Qatar. That little thrill, little thrill of buying Twitter will be laughed at and mocked as meaningless in the next life. Whereas my little thrill of never missing one child support payment will be honored in the next life. And the fact that I took on debt for the people that mattered to me, that mattered to my heart, and sacrificed any travel or any life for me 
will matter in the next life. And that's the way I was taught to believe. And it's something that I found through my faith to be real. Other people think it's delusional. Other people don't believe in that. That's fine. That's your privilege. You have a right to believe in whatever you want to believe. But I found a path to believe and have faith in that concept that Jesus taught. That living a humbled life uh, will have a reward when it matters most. When others think what matters most is every day to day in this world. I don't see life that way. Now, the point of this podcast was to clarify, though, that the people that see life that way get ahead. And it's, it's scary. You see the Elon Musk and the others talking all over Twitter. And you see the women running to them. And you see, you know, even your own family turns on you when you live a humble life. Uh, because everybody's like, do something, right? And it's, it says, it's like what I said about Jack on Twitter. You're a weakling in the end. Do something. You know, this, this guy's making a mockery of Twitter and, and our rights, and he's claiming it's free speech. You were this liberal genius. We believed in you. Fight for us, you know? But remember, they said that to Jesus. Remember? They said, if you're a king, come down off your cross. You know, if you're a king, Judas said, you know, bring us to power. Let's go. Let's start our own kingdom here. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this earth. Jesus was basically saying, you don't get it. That's not the kind of king I am. My power is very great. And it goes right to the top. My father, he's a real big shot. He's got stuff that really matters. Not just in this subjective earthly lifestyle. You know, you look at the guys over there, the, the priests and the elders and the tax collectors, and they have the money and they have the power of the word and everybody kisses their butts and they walk around and they sit at the highest seats in the synagogue and on and on. Remember, he would, he would take them down all the time. Jesus took those guys down. And said they don't have shit in the end, basically. And Jesus hung with the sinners and the lepers. And the, and he hung with the tax collectors, too, who the people hated. He takes our money. Why are you sitting with him? Because Jesus was open to the hearts of men, all of them. But the external trappings and the show they put on didn't matter. And more than that, he told people it shouldn't matter. A rich man came to him saying, Master, I want to follow you. I believe in you. Tell me what I have to do to be one of your apostles, and I will do it. And Jesus said to him, go home now and sell everything you have, and then you can follow me. And the guy just sulked and walked away sad because he knew he couldn't do that. He was too attached to his riches and wealth. He would do anything. He would do anything just to be one of Jesus' disciples except that he couldn't give up his money couldn't give up the power of that earthly life and that's when jesus said to the rest of them after that guy sulks away he says it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven now that doesn't mean if you're rich you ain't getting in 
That's, I'm drinking coffee, by the way, not alcohol at 7 uh, in the morning. In case you're wondering, I've had some people accuse me of being alcoholic recently. I just wanted to clarify two things. Number one, I am not even close to an alcoholic. I never have been in my entire life. But I did have some troubles with alcohol about 15 years ago. I, I've corrected them. And uh, no, I'm not an alcoholic. And no, I don't drink booze at 7 a.m. But I do drink black coffee. But if you hear me sipping, that is what I am sipping on. Um, yeah, but I think at the end of the day, the wealthy, uh, even the wealthy that have spiritual leanings, that's why they give all their money away to charities at the end of their lives. That's why they donate it to all kinds of things. And because they're hoping to buy their way into heaven, they're hoping to say, see, Jesus, <laughs> yes, I lived a very opulent life. Yes, I had a lot of power and money, but look. I gave my share to the poor. I did I did my duty. So come on. You're going to let me in now? You're going to let me into heaven when I die? <laughs> so they're, they're hedging their bets, let's say, right? They're hedging their bets. So my, my view has always been, listen to Jesus. He had wisdom to me. Trust in your heart. And I looked deep in my heart, and I found the faith to believe in a life after this one. It's not logical. Our brains seem to control us, and when they die, we aren't there anymore. We've seen this from brain damage people. They're just not there. We see it in Alzheimer's. So it does seem to be that we are our brains. They are physical mass, and when they stop functioning, we cease to exist. However, I read a wonderful little theory once. I believe it was from Kierkegaard. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember the exact book. It was at Carnegie Mellon when I was in undergraduate studies who theorized that the brain was a radio antenna taking in signals from outside. And a lot of who we are and what we think and feel comes to us from outside. And when the brain is damaged, it's like a broken antenna. So perhaps that's one way to explain why people disappear when their brains get damaged. It's not so much that they're gone. But the soul and spirit in them is not able to connect to the energy that it needs to express itself. So that when the body releases the spirit, when they finally die, it will be one with, its, uh, with whatever juices it up again out in, the, out in space, up in heaven. So there's, so there's like an energy somewhere and then there's the soul inside and they connect through the brain. When the brain goes, the connection's lost. But the soul's still there, and when it escapes the body at death, it will be reunited with that energy force outside of the body that allows that soul to express itself and to, and to exist. So that basically then you look at people with brain damage as souls trapped in a body no longer able to express themselves accurately or adequately because of the brain damage. And that's very scary, isn't it? It's kind of like being buried alive. It's kind of like the, the, the very claustrophobic concept of still being alive but being underground. Only here you're still alive but you're in a body and you can't. I think, though, the one way I spin that to make it easier, for example, on the Alzheimer patient or the brain damaged car accident person or whatever, is to say, yes, it's a soul trapped inside a body, but they're not able to know it. The soul's there, but the soul can't function without the connection to the outside either fully so that it is a trap soul but it is kind of like a baby it's still alive but the brain is not fully developed yet hasn't learned to connect to its energy to exist so the baby's there but the baby's not as aware 
like when you're inside your mother's womb. You're growing, you're existing, but you're not aware fully because you're not fully developed. So I think as an adult, when your brain is damaged, your soul's in you, but it's not aware of its suffering. It's trapped. It is. It's buried alive inside a body, but it's not aware, fully aware because it needs that energy from the outside source to give it full awareness. And the brain is the the transponder that, that allows for that. So with an underdeveloped brain, such as in the womb or in a baby or a damaged brain, same thing. And so when that happens, the soul is unaware of its state. So just as you were not traumatized and full of, you don't have memories of all the horrible things you felt scared, trapped inside your mother's womb, right? You don't have those memories. You don't wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night. You're like, get me out of here, get me out of here. You know, punching at your mother's stomach from the inside. You don't have memories of feeling trapped. That's the way your soul would feel if you have Alzheimer's or otherwise damaged brain. You're in there, but you don't, you're not going to remember that. You're not feeling it that way because you don't have that connection to the spirit on the outside that you need to be fully developed and to feel those things and to be, to exist at that level. So you, you kind of like your soul sort of goes to sleep inside the body or gets dumbed down a little until death and then it's reunited and comes back to life and is full force again that's a theory a little crazy maybe i don't know a little stretch maybe a bit of a stretch but it's how i like to explain the loss of a person's personality and intellect and everything that we know them to be whenever their brain gets damaged Uh, if you believe that it's just hey that's who they are it's the brain and it's damaged now they're gone you know might as well put them to sleep might as well you know pull the plug I do believe when they're brain dead, you should pull the plug because that soul's just totally trapped now with no means of expressing anything until the body's dead. Why let it sit there trapped until the body dies? It could take years, you know? So I'm fully up for pulling plugs on brain dead people. But the people that are just have brain damage or otherwise, you know, Alzheimer's, they're still in there. There's still an ability to see some of that, and I, I don't know. I think that those moments of that person still shining through are worth it, and I think to allow for the body to die on its own is still more noble, and I don't know. I think it's more natural, and I, it might be ugly, and it might be scary to have to sit through and, and deal with uh, with the loved one, but I don't know. It feels more like leaving it up to God as the way to go in that situation. That's a complicated subject, obviously very very complicated but all of this comes back to ties into my faith and your faith if you have it how do you believe that there's a reward we see all of these people get so far ahead by cheating lying and stealing in this world we see all of these sinners and they get all the sex and all the pussy (laughs) sorry i had to bring that one back and we see you know power in in making a difference in some big shot way that gets acclaim we see all of that so popular so valued in america especially in this world and you say well how can i not strive for that it seems to be the way to live and if i accept a humble life i'm a loser i'm a failure i'm a weakling i'm jack on his way out of twitter that's not any good i don't want that the women desert you when you don't have power the women that used to love you say look at you now look at the way they attack all the guys and accuse them of sexual assault when they're 80 
They didn't have anything to say against them when they were powerful and young and good-looking and popular in Hollywood. But then when they're getting ready to push up daisies, all of a sudden all the women come out and say, yeah, he did me wrong this, he did that wrong, this wrong. They disgrace all of these guys when they're old because they look at them and like, you ain't shit. You ain't shit now, old man. You're just an old man. And they attack them. So we live in a culture that respects and reveres those that have power of looks, of money, success in business. And even if they commit sexual wrongs, they'll let them get away with it because of that power. But when they get old and weak looking and weak acting and they're washed up, now it's time to go after them. The vultures will feed. And so that's something that affects us where we watch that. We know that we see that that is our culture. How can we not let that influence our values? How can we not strive to have some semblance of power or prestige in our lives, especially if we like women and we know that they want that. But also as a woman, if you want to compete with men who are, who are like that, you've got to want that yourself, right? So how do, we, how, do we, how do we really say it's okay to put your head down? As one of my supervisors said to me at my government job, Ray, you just come in and every day you just put your head down and do your job. And that's what I did. How do we live that way? Why aren't we leaving the door open, running around, gossiping, listening to things, trying to get ahead, worrying, worrying all the time? Anxiety over what's being said, over what might be happening next, over how to get ahead. Worrying all the time about what do I have to do next to get to, from point A to point B? Because God knows I've got to get to point B. If I sit here at point A, I'm a loser. Only losers sit at point A. You've got to go from point A to point B to point C and on and on and on. And we see this. We see young people come into companies and climb. And I can't just sit here in this job. I got to move. I got to be a mover and a shaker. So the question is, well, how do we not, how do, we not do that? How do we not live that? Why aren't all of us just competing and striving to get more money and power? And the only explanation I could come up with is faith. And a belief in something where the payoff will be not for the one with the most toys or the most pussah or the most prestige, but the payoff will be for the one who did the right thing. The payoff will be for the person who put himself second or herself second and the one who, uh, in the end, did what they had to do, did their time, did their sentence. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking of the song from Queen, Freddie Mercury. We are the champions. He wrote that song. Uh, and the lyrics at the beginning of it, you know, I, I've done my sentence, yet committed no crime. You know, and, um, and that ends by saying, we are the champions, my friends. We'll keep on fighting to the end. We are the champions. No time for losers because we are the champions. But it's really, you know, there's also, it brought me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. I thank you all. So he's not really humble. He's acknowledging fame and fortune. But but I like the part about I've done my sen sentence but committed no crime. You know, it's been no bed of roses, no pleasure cruise. Um, 
But he's a champion still. Now, so take away the money part, the fame and fortune part, which is probably everything. So never mind. Fuck the whole Freddie Mercury. I'm sorry I brought it up. No, but <laughs> the concept of Jesus is to say you do your sentence. You put your head down. You've committed no crime. Let everyone throw stones at you. Let everyone, even in your own family, call you names and say bad things about you. You know they're wrong. You know you're doing the right thing. You know you're being humble. You're not fighting back. You're not showing them in your accomplishments. You're not racing off to do this and that in a way that says, look at me, look what I am, because you know who you are inside and God knows who you are inside. And you believe that God sees you on the inside and you don't have to show on the outside. You do as Jesus said. You go to your room and you shut the door and you go on your knees and you pray. You don't pray in the synagogues and go, ah, and rip your shirt and wear things tagged you like the religious leaders did that Jesus mocked. You don't do that. You don't put on a show about your faith. You go off and you live it in a private way that everyone, maybe your friends and family go, "Uh, who is he? He's a loser. He's a nothing. He's a bum. He must be doing this. He must be drinking at 7 a.m. While he's doing his podcast, he must be doing it. Uh, he must be living for pussy all the time. He must be in debt because he's paying for hookers. He must be, you know, they can make up all their bullshit incorrect reasons because you're not showing them a reason for why you're off humbly alone. And the reason is that you're living, you're doing your duty. You're putting your head down and you're living for the next world. And you know that, and you hope it's there, that's all. And you hope in that. And what's the alternative? The alternative is to bang your head against a brick wall and try to be rich and famous and try to be a hotshot, but guess what? Very precious few make that. So if you don't believe, if you don't have faith, and you don't really give much of a shit about the word of Jesus or the idea of the afterlife, if you think the brain is matter and it controls us and it's all we are, then if you then that means that the murderers and rapists and killers that do horrible things there they got away with it i guess you know unless they're captured and executed or put in jail i guess the bad guys that do bad things i guess they won they got away with it every single horrible thing done on this planet that isn't uh, avenged then i guess is just a, a terrible thing that oh well and the person who did it lives on and they're fine like Woody Allen's Crimes of Mr. Meters, where by the end of the movie, uh, you know, the lead character uh, tells his story. And he says, at first, I felt a lot of guilt. At first, I thought they're going to catch me. But you come to grips with it, and you're okay. And you realize you got away with it, and everything's fine again. And, you know, you watch that ending in the movie, and you're like, boy, that's terrible. And then you realize Woody Allen was talking about his molestation and things probably. He was probably hiding that in the course of that movie, you know. The guilt he was feeling, the worry. And he got away with it. And he just realizes, you know, it's okay to sin sometimes and do bad if you get away with it. Because you realize you get over it. You rationalize, you move on in your life. And hey, you got that thrill of pedophilia or whatever, I guess. I don't know. That's that's a horrible thing, isn't it? I mean, that's why I didn't like that movie, <laughs> Crimes and Misdemeanors. Because I don't like the idea of sins and wrongs and bad things done. And hey, you just move on and... You find out that that's life. And then you die. And you're not punished. There's no comeuppance. You got away with it. So if that's the way you look at life, then by all means, do what you got to do to get the most toys and bang your head against that brick wall and 
fight to be the next Elon Musk and worship Elon Musk, suck his dick, you know, run after him, work for him, you know, worship Donald Trump. Everybody that's rich is a god then. Everyone's a little demigod here on earth. You know, do what you can to be like them. Ride their coattails, you know, be a little lackey, be a little brown noser. If that's what you think life is about, if you think it's about, you know, be, if you can't be a genius, then hang out with them, right? If you can't be a rich little genius boy, then get their cast-offs, get the women that, uh, that, that they reject, you know? They'll take one of Elon's, you know, lackeys in the end if they can't get the man himself, right? So you might get some pretty good cast-offs in the ways of women and jobs and anything. Maybe he'll give you one of his old cars, and you can ride that and say, look, I'm driving a Tesla. And um, you didn't have to pay for it because you were buddies. You were buddies with Elon. You know, or strive and struggle to make some big claim on this earth. Never give up the passion to be you know, famous for inventing something or doing this really important thing. Look, I'm not mocking that because at the end of the day, it's great that we have these people that do these genius things and important things. They really help us to enjoy life on this planet more. But at the end of the day, the only real true genius thing you can do is live for the afterlife, <laughs> if you believe in it. The greatest accomplishment you can ever achieve, the most genius move you can make, is to die in a state where, you, where God loves you in heaven. And the way that you lived on this earth is a model form for the souls in heaven. That is genius. That is true success, if you believe in it to begin with. And like I said, if you don't, and then you live a humble life, if you don't believe in the afterlife, if you don't believe that terrible wrongs are avenged in the afterlife and that the humble life is rewarded, if you don't believe that, and yet you choose to put your head down, just do your sentence, then I think it's... I think it's a sad life, you know? And so believe me, I, as I grapple with faith, we all have challenges to our faith. There have been different points in my life where I said, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here, not doing more. Maybe I should leave this government job. Maybe I should fight more in my family to show myself more as the dad I know that I am. Maybe I should try to make scenes and pronouncements and act actions that people look at to see that he's a great father instead of just knowing that I am and being that. Maybe I have to, you know, outwardly show it to impress others because that's what's important since there's no afterlife, right? So... If you're going to look at your life here on earth as that's it, this is everything, then, then you have to make, you make some adjustments, I think, to your, to your lifestyle. And you have to worry about what you're achieving and doing more because I think a humble life of putting yourself second is, is going to have its moments where it really depresses you and it's very disappointing. And so when you have your moments of lost faith, which I've had, you do get depressed. You do question your life and your existence because you haven't achieved more. Um, but at the end of the day, I stick to my guns and my values, which is to say, this is not all there is. As Morrissey sang in my favorite song of all time still, 
the Smiths asleep. There is another world. There is a better world. Well, there must be. Well, there must be. And that is how I feel. And that is why I live humbly, why I sacrifice myself and I do my due diligence and my duty for the public, for my children, for others before me, even if that leads to me being ridiculed or thought little of, even if that leads to me being alone and not having a love interest, even if that leads to me being retired and living in moderate poverty, <laughs> um, without the ability to travel or experience wonderful things of the earth. It's all okay to me because I truly believe in the word of Jesus and what he taught. I truly believe that the meek shall inherit the earth, meaning the next world. And I truly believe that there is another world. There is a better world because there must be. I love you. Yabba da boop bop.